This episode of Hustle and Pro is brought to you by I9 Sports. I9 Sports provides a youth sports experience that teaches the importance of good sportsmanship on the field and in life in a convenient one day a week schedule. I9 is open to all kids and all skill levels ages 3 to 14 in flag football, soccer, baseball, basketball, volleyball, and lacrosse. I9 Sports is the way youth sports should be. Find a youth sports program near you at i9sports.com. That is the letter I, the number nine, sports.com. This is Hustle and Pro with Kelly Walker. Join Kelly as she talks sports with players, coaches, organizers, and entrepreneurs from BWE League to Pro. Now here's your host, Kelly Walker. Welcome to today's episode of Hustle and Pro. We welcome an accomplished and distinguished guest today, endurance athlete Brian Brode. Thanks for joining us, Brian. How are you? I'm well, Kelly. Thank for thank you for having me. Yes, I'm excited to talk to you. You have a fascinating story, and there's so much to um, to cover here. But before we jump into some of these um, topics that I want to cover with you, let's get to know you a little bit better. So I have some quick hits I want to ask you about. Sure. Who would you say is your favorite athlete of all time? Favorite athlete of all time, I would have to say, is um, Jesse Owens. Okay. What is your favorite sport to watch as a spectator? Football. Football. And what's your favorite sport to participate in? I would say uh, triathlon. Okay. Now, what's the farthest distance you've ever traveled to participate in sports or to watch sports? The other side of the world. Yeah, Japan. Ah, oh, Japan. Yeah. And I know you've probably traveled um, personally as well. That doesn't have anything to do with sports, so we can talk about that as well. So let's get a little bit of background information from you. Um, I mentioned you're an endurance athlete, and um, you're an endurance athlete for charity. I don't even know if I said that important piece, and we'll learn a little bit about that. But tell me how you, how and when in your life that you began in this endurance sport. Sure. Uh, in uh, Prior to, well, it all started back that I was an athlete in high school. I, I swam on the, on the high school team. I swam collegiately, and I was a lifeguard uh, on the New Jersey shore, not one by the pool, but one actually on the seashore. Best job in the world because you got paid to do something that was, to me, it was just like, was like play. Serious job, yeah. but a lot of times it was, it was play. Fun, yeah. um, and then, uh, then I uh, became an officer in the Army, so I had, to, and I was in the type of unit where I had to stay athletically fit the, the entire time. And when I departed the Army and started working in a corporate desk job for 15 years, I led a sedentary lifestyle. And I gained to where 50 pounds or so. And then, um, and I would go to the gym and it, it, for maybe a week or two, and I was so motivated to go, but it didn't, didn't really stick. Mm-hmm. And then um, in uh, 2004, uh, one day I couldn't fit into my blue jeans. Winter had come and now it's spring and I couldn't fit in my blue jeans. And I was trying to suck it in to uh, button up a pair of size yeah. 44. We've all been there, yeah, right? Si- yeah, a pair, a pair of size, a pair of size 44s. Okay. And and I and it was just my kind of my epiphany at that uh, at that moment. Well, right then, about that time, it was also the um, this low carb, high protein diets were becoming more and more popular. The Zone Diet, South Beach, and such. Mm-hmm. 
and they kind of interested me, and I started uh, go, you, eating, eating in that way. And then the third piece came along, and that is I, I attended a conference that was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Fathers. Mm. And, um, it, and in this conference, a video was shown of a father-son triathlon team named Dick and Ricky Hoyt. And, uh, and uh, I watched that and was absolutely mesmerized. And, and I realized that, okay, I'm having an epiphany, that this is what I want to do. To change. To, to change. And, um, but I wanted to do it for charity. Uh, a beloved uncle of mine had just been diagnosed with leukemia. And uh, I thought, well, I could do this and maybe raise money for, for leukemia. But I remember like, going home and telling my wife that I wanted to eventually train to do an Ironman triathlon. She said, that's great. What are the distances? I said, I don't even know. I know that I know there's a marathon. Right. And um, uh, so I started training for one. I did my very first triathlon. I, I was I, I was so far behind in the pack that looking behind me on the run, I could see that the pickup truck was picking up the cones, mm. shutting down the course. And I figured, you know what? It's no longer a race between me and that 15-year-old girl that just passed me. Right. It's a race between me and the truck. Yeah. So I finished it, and then. Um, when you're done with a race, you go back to your car, and often future races are advertised by somebody who will put a flyer underneath mm -hmm. the windshield wiper of your car. And I pulled one out. It was for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Oh, wow. Didn't even know what it was about. I mean, I, mean, I knew what it was about. I didn't even know there was. But uh, you knew that's something you wanted to help with. Well, they, right. But I, I, I didn't. You know, it was so very coincidental. And they were advertising that do a half Ironman triathlon distance race in St. Croix. I thought, wow. I'm, I'm going to raise money That's for charity. I'm going to dedicate this, this uh, race to, to my uncle, and I'm going to go to St. Croix. That checks all the boxes it, you it, were looking it, to it do. It did. So I was like, okay, this is, this is great. And uh, that then began this, this obsession uh, towards, uh, towards uh, uh, athletics. I want to go back a step because I hear some of this also spurred from your time in the Army. So you were mm -hmm. an officer in the Army, correct? That's right. So tell me a little bit about that and some of your um, your specialties and, and what actually kind of started you on this path also, like you mentioned, about having a desk job for so long. Sure. And when I was in the in the service, I uh, spent most of my time with a, a particular unit in the Army um, that was part of the 18th Airborne Corps. This is the 101st Airborne Division, the 82nd Airborne Division, other uh, parachute jump units. And I became a, a, a Ranger-qualified officer in the in the field artillery. So I had gone through that, that, that training qualification school and um, because of that, uh, the unit I was in, it was, a, it was a, call it kind of like a first responder unit, that uh, there was not much downtime. We were constantly marching, and, and we had to stay physically fit yeah. as a part of our job. So, so th that, like I said, I had done that, and then when I left the service, I then came to working in, in, um, here in Dallas, and I was in a, a competitive position to where there's long hours, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks, and how it's sitting. Just sitting. Yeah. Just sitting. So, uh, so, so my day would we begin with skipping breakfast, being at my desk at 7.30, getting home at 7.30, 8 o'clock, having you know, 
hamburgers, french fries, a couple of Dr. Peppers. Yeah. And then a, good. A, a, food to feel yeah. good and just quick stuff. It, yeah. Probably. And, and, you know, one or two of those meals is, is not a big deal, but you do that for six years. Yeah. And that and, puts on the pounds. And, yeah. you, and, you, and, and you feel bad. And you feel bad and you put on the pounds and such. And, um, and it just, it, it became my lifestyle. And, and like I said, I knew that I, I needed to get back in shape, but I, I just couldn't find the, the time to do it or the discipline just wasn't there until I said I had this epiphany to where it's like I know, in my mind's eye, I see my 150 pounds felt self, and there I was standing, you know, almost 200 pounds. And it pounds. just didn't, la it didn't match up. It you didn't, needed to, and this was in your 40s when it, you... Right, I was 43. 43. Yeah. When you said, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to do something about it. It's and you started running. Right. I got off what I call the, the couch of doom. Yeah. Did you do this, um, the beginning steps of this, by yourself? I did. Okay. I, I, I did. That's uh, hard. That, it, 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 was, it was hard. That was, a part, that, that was a part of it. So so you know that it didn't start with running. It started oh, okay. with going to the weight room. Gotcha. Oh, good. And okay. um, so it was a, um, a low-carb, high-protein diet with the weight room. And then, uh, so I was going to a, a gym six days a week and I was disciplined in, in getting it done. I had read uh, books about how to train and how to, to, to lose weight by, by gaining muscle. Mm -hmm. And um, in within about six months, I went from almost 200 pounds down to 170 pounds. Oh, wow. I went from 30% body fat to less than 20% body fat. You saw um, that change I, quickly. I had that change. Your work was paying off. Very quickly. And then, and then that got to, and so I was in my those size 44 jeans, they were tossed and I was back in size 34. And it happened really very, very quickly. But it was a hollow victory because when I would go to the gym, I, I wasn't making any friends. There was no social aspect mm -hmm. to it. And, and personally, I'm kind of alpha. That, uh, that, you know, another guy comes in and he's, um, you know, say working out or such. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's on, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's a race, there's a competition here. And uh, so, so what I ended up after some self reflection is that I was leading this narcissistic life. It was like, it was uh, all uh, you. Uh, yeah. It was all me. You know, how many more repetitions can I bench press? You know, how many more inches can I get off of my waist? You know, can I see the, the striations of the muscles in my arm, arms and such? And um, it's like, I'm, I'm not making any friends. That, really... can, and, yeah, that can also kind of just be a dangerous slope, I guess, to you can lose sight of what you're doing. Right. And you've, you're, you've stopped then just doing it to be healthy and for the right reasons. And then maybe you're obsessed with, like you said, all of these little nuances of your, your body. Right. And and that's not always a good. No, it was. I, I was becoming. I was becoming, like I said, a, a, very much a, a, a gym rat. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, so that's then when I went to this conference, and mm. I said, okay, there's more to being fit than just what I was experiencing. That you know, there is a, a, a an altruistic spark that was lit in me when I saw that, and I said, I'm going to do that, and. Um, so the very first time I went out, I had a pair of basketball s sneakers on, and I went for a run. I had a goal that I was going to run uh, around a park that's close to my home. It would be about two miles. I thought, oh, yeah, the Army fitness test is two miles. I yeah. got about 
a block away, and, oh. and I was huffing and puffing. You were that far and, and feeling, away from where you needed to be. Right, and felt complete. Now, here again. That's I, even after being in the that, gym? That's even after being in the gym. So so, so now. Just, your I cardio was, wasn't up. Cardio wasn't there. Um, wrong shoes, wrong equipment, wrong, wrong everything. Mm-hmm. But I guess maybe that's was, was a, hey, you know, you need to do something, do something else. Yeah. So I went to um, a, a local running shoe store, and there I asked about running groups. And they looked at me like, well, are, are you crazy? Of course we have running groups around here. Found out that there was a triathlon-specific running group uh, that was at the uh, Arbor Hills uh, Nature Preserve yeah. in, in West Plano. Right. And, uh, and when I first met these guys, it was almost like they were welcoming in the prodigal son. It's such a community. Very much. It's so strong. They want to join. They want people to just... And, you know, they embrace everyone, yeah. right? And, like, learn. They'll teach you. They'll help you along the way, right? Is yeah. that how you felt? Yeah, exactly. Is that there were people who are like me who are just getting into it. There were people who are very, very accomplished in the in, in, in the sport that I could uh, pick their brains and learn from and such. But the main thing is is that they, they were all very nice people. As I, as I would say, is that they, they were a very friendly crowd, but they will judge your shoes. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> So people talk about the running shoes. Running so, shoes is so, a big so, thing. Yeah. So I did start by myself. It was a failure, but it was when I then got connected with a group that things got a lot better. How far from that time did it take you to run your first or to complete your first Ironman? Um, it took about two years. Two years. Two years, yeah. How many have you completed now? I have completed six full Ironmans. Six full Ironmans. Yeah. I bet that's taken you to some amazing parts of the world. It did. So, um, so, so there's the Ironman itself, but there's also the, the different training uh, places that I would go as well. So it has taken me from Hawaii to, to, to St. Croix, um, from, you know, to you know, Florida, to New York and Boston and such. Uh, and, then, um, and then the races that I've completed is that I've completed uh, Ironman Texas twice, Ironman Wisconsin twice, um, Ironman... USA, also known as Lake Placid, in mm-hmm. Lake Placid, New York, once. And then my very first one was in uh, Florida. Wow. Yeah. How do you pull in the charity component to this? So I know, you know, uh, endurance athlete for charity is something that kind of rings true for you. So where does, I, I get the first race, um, kind of in honor of your uncle, but mm-hmm. how did you push that along? I mean, I've read that you've raised over a million dollars for yeah. charity. Yeah. How did that come to be then? The rest of that. Well, I guess it it, it well, when to how it began starting with with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, and what they have is they have a training program to where if you pledge to raise money and there's a minimum amount, they will provide the coaching. They will provide um, on just on, on on the training and then also the nutrition. They also will then provide for you transportation and lodging to the race and entry fees into the race as, as well. So so the, the goal may be $5,000, depending upon the race and the distance. So let's say it's $5,000. A certain amount of that goes to the expenses of getting the athlete there. Another portion goes to to goes to the charity, mm-hmm. and and that got it started. I said, well, if I can raise five thousand dollars, so my first role, role was to raise five thousand dollars, and I ended up raising like fifteen thousand um, uh, dollars. So um, I then said, well, how can I make this even more robust? So I ended up doing multiples of races of just of marathons and half marathons and short distance triathlons until finally it came upon 
the, uh, the, the Ironman triathlon. And I remember I said, how can I best honor the people that I'm doing this for? Mm -hmm. And how can I, can I just make this even bigger? I don't want to raise $15,000. I want to raise $100,000. So what I did is I contacted people whom I thought would support me in this, and I made a list of anybody that they said that they know uh, that I could race an honor for them. Mm. So I would say, do you, know, do you know somebody that either had cancer, has cancer, or has recovered from cancer? Just about everybody said sure. yes. I would then say. Unfortunately, everybody uh, says yes Yeah, to unfortunately. That and, and then my next question says, you know, I'm, I would tell them, doing this Ironman, my next question would be, do you mind if I would carry their name with me for that entire race? And I will dedicate this race to those people. Well, sure. Did you ever get a no? No. Okay. Never, never got a no. The uh, for that part. For, for, for that. <laughs> for, for the money part, I'm for, sure for, for you've that gotten no. For, for that part. So for then they say, part. well, how much do you want? Would usually be the next question. Right. And for for some people, knowing who they were, I would say anything that you can contribute would mm -hmm. be fine. This is more about honoring you know and bringing awareness. But then there were some people who I know, uh, I know that they've done well in business. And I would say, I'm looking for a $10,000 donation. A couple of those, I got a little wow. bit of pushback. But, but, but I got some of those, too. They said, well, maybe not 10. How about five? Wow. And I would say, well, how about eight? They'd say, well, let's go for seven. Wow. <laughs> so, so, th so that then brought it, brought it on. So that very first Ironman that I did, um, I raced with a, a little over 200 names. And then whenever I would do these various Ironmans, and what I did is I took the list and I printed it out, and I would have it laminated. And I would have it pinned to the ins inside of my jersey, mm. and uh, and then the finisher's photo I would take their standing mm -hmm. finisher medal, all that I would then hold up the list of the hold up the list of the names. Wow. Yeah, and uh, and then let, let them know that on that day I was thinking and dedicating that race to their their loved one. So you have done that with the list that you're of loved ones that you're carrying and running in honor of, through. All these iron, all six of these iron. Well, the first one you didn't hadn't figured that part of it out yet, but though with the list, right? No, no, I did. Oh, you I, had. Okay. I, I did. My my first the the, the uh, triathlons leading up to that, I did not. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm thinking I, triathlons. I, yeah. Ironman. Yes, yes. So, but then there was the Ironman, and that's why I said, okay, I'm going to I'm going to go for instead of just raising five thousand or fifteen thousand, I'm going to raise some more. Yeah, and now you are. What's next for you? I hear you're headed to. To do Boston, to run, conquer Boston again. Run Boston for the sixth time. Sixth yeah. time for Boston. How's yeah. that experience been for you? Boston is just an amazing, an amazing experience for uh, for the the sport. Uh, you know, Boston is to uh, what what it's to runners as to what Wimbledon is to a tennis player, or what the Indianapolis 500 is to an IndyCar race. It is uh, just an amazing experience, and the uh, what makes it amazing is not only the crowd support. That's along yeah. that entire course, but the history of uh, of the course, and knowing that it's you know it's the longest continuous running race or running marathon in the world, uh, founded in uh, 1897, and it has a, a, a very colorful history. Right. So um, uh, it it's just really quite the uh, quite the experience. I bet there's uh, a feeling I'm sure that you have when you're there, unlike no other. 
So you're training for that now. When does the Boston Marathon happen? What time of year? It's always held on the third Monday of April. Okay, so it's, it's in April. Used to, there used to be a holiday at the, in the United States. It was a national holiday called Patriot's Day, and it was to commemorate the beginning of the War for Independence. Um, uh, the only state that follows it now is Massachusetts. So for, for the third Monday in April, it is a state holiday, and that's the day that the, they hold the Boston Mar Marathon. I didn't know that. I didn't put all that together. Yeah, so the, so okay. the Boston, the, 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 the brief history of the Boston Marathon is that in 1896, when they brought back the Olympics, the modern-day Olympics, a contingent of athletes from the Boston Athletic Club went over to Athens, where they had the first one, and they were boxers and wrestlers. Well, between uh, the sporting events, the athletes and the coaches would go and see the other sporting events. Well, there was this one unique event that was at the, on the last day, and it was the, this run, this endurance run of about 40 kilometers, which is right around 25 miles, that started in the town of Athens, or excuse me, started in the town of Marathon, and oh. then finished in Athens. And it is to follow the route of a, of a legendary Greek runner called Pheidippides in, in 460-something B.C. The, the Athenians were fighting the um, Persians on the plains of, of, of Marathon. The, the plan was that if the Greeks had lost that battle, that the town of Athens was to be abandoned. Well, the Greeks won. They sent a messenger named Pheidippides to run mm. that entire route. He runs the route, he reports and says, rejoice, we are victorious, and he dies. Wow. Okay. So, 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 so that, that was his last thing. So, so, so whether that's true or whether that is all legend, that is story. it. So that is the the Greeks' ancient messenger. Well, these at these um, members of the U.S. contingent of the Boston Athletic Club, they had an idea. They said, you know, we have an ancient messenger too, and his name is Paul Revere. So they drew a course the next year of about twenty or about forty kilometers. It was twenty-five miles starting in downtown Boston, and then went to the west, you know, kind of along the general route of what Paul Revere would have written. And in the town of Ashland, they had the 11th athletes, the 11 athletes, and they ran the course, and that was the very first Boston Marathon. Wow. They had it on Patriot's Day. Wow, so, a history lesson. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so, so this is the, the history and the lore and all yeah. of that of, of the race is just, it's there. It, yeah. like I said, it's the Wimbledon of running. That's exciting, and that will be your sixth Boston Marathon. Yes, sir. So all of that is good, and I love this story, but I also want to touch on one last part of your story um, here, which is some setbacks. So mm. in 2012, you had a setback of having a stroke, right, in That's June? Right. In June, yeah. So tell me, tell me about what that looked like as far as, I mean, at that point you were a healthy person mm -hmm. that wouldn't expect to have a stroke one day, um, and then obviously a long recovery after that to get back to running at the skill and the, or the high level that you're running at. So tell me a little bit about that journey for you. Sure. It was a Saturday morning. It was June the, the, the 23rd in, in 2012. I was going to meet my mates for a run over in the park close to my home. And I'm, one hand, I'm eating cereal. The other hand, I'm checking emails on my laptop. When uh, all of a sudden I had, think of like an old time black and white movie that just fades to black at the end of the movie. And it, it faded to black and 
I was like, what is, what is this? And then 10 seconds later, light comes back, but not completely. That something is fuzzy, it's, things are not clear. And on my left side, I can't feel very well, and I'm drooling. I'm drooling out of my left side of my mouth. Well, I had the presence of mind, so with my right hand, I Googled you know, symptoms of a stroke. Googled? You did, I thought you were going to say dial 911. No, no. I, I, again, I don't know why it was, why I didn't just dial 911, but just you know, you know, symptoms of a stroke. And, I, and, uh, and sure enough, there's like five of the fifth symptoms that are there, and I had like three of the five. And I thought, crap. Wow. And, but at yeah. that point now, it's over. So, um, so then I then uh, literally crawled across the, the living room floor with, from the kitchen to the living room to tell my wife, I said, hey, I think I may have had a stroke. Go to the hospital. They say, yep, that's, you had what's known as a transient ischemic attack, which is where a, an envelope, piece of plaque, piece of, of uh, cholesterol or so, it becomes plaque, breaks off from the walls of, the, of, a, of your heart artery, usually around your aortic valve, and travels into the brain and then stops the flow of oxygen to brain cells just long enough to short circuit. Mm -hmm. If it's really transient, very short, then not so much damage, mm -hmm. maybe, mm -hmm. maybe all depending upon where it is and how old it is. If it's longer than that, then you could then, it could turn into a hemorrhage or it could turn to where uh, there's a lot of brain damage. Mm -hmm. Fortunately for me, it was very transient. Um, it left me almost b completely blind in my right eye because wow. part of it got into, part of the embola centered in my right eye. It's called a CRAO, a, a central retinal arterial occlusion. And then my left side, was having some mobility problems. So I went to the doctor. They said, yeah, they think this is what's happened, and there's really not much we can do for you. So they sent me home with a bedpan. That was it. And, um, and then an appointment to see a neurologist, an appointment to see a cardiologist. Uh, and uh, so here I was, you know, kind of now back in bed. Not Lost, I'm much. sure. Yeah. Cause, yeah. You yeah. had been so active. Yeah, been very active, but, you know, fully functional. And everything's like, so, you know, it's like, what does this mean to my family? What does this mean for my job? What does it mean for all of that? And uh, so uh, after my family, the next place that I turned was that, um, what was my running, running club. Running club. My running club. And I said, hey, this is, this is what's happened. And, and they just said, whatever you need. Yeah. Whatever you need. So in my road to recovery, which this happened in June, I set a goal of running a 5K and by be between now and the end of the year. Didn't okay. know which one I would do, but that's what I did. Less than six months than to six get months. back to yeah. over three miles. Right, and um, had one doctor say, not gonna happen. You know, you'll probably get to where you can walk again, but you know, you're gonna plateau there. Mm. And I was like. They <laughs> don't know. They don't know. You, you, they don't know you. you. You don't know me, right. you don't know me. So, um, so I, uh, as soon as I could, I began walking you know, with the walker, then to the cane, and I would go to my running club, and they would have, they have once a, a week, they have track, and they would be running their, their sprints, mm -hmm. and I would be out there with my cane, just trying to complete what I, wow. what, what I could, could complete. <laughs> now, that summer went by, as, as it was going by, I, as the husband and as the father, I'm a father of four, 
um, and I had little ones at the house at the time, uh, pretty much got a pass on all of the the chores and regular things like that. life, <laughs> regular stuff. regular life stuff. Is that you know, Dad? I, I'm not I'm not gardening here. I'm not doing all of these. The things, uh, you know, it came time to painting my son's room, you know, I was <laughs> got a pass and all that. Well, I, one day, I got up and I walked that two-mile route through the park without, without a cane. And, and that was on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. Sunday, I'm sitting at home, September, football is season is starting, I'm sitting in my home library, and I've got the game on, I've got something to eat, it's like I am now the master of all I observe. And I hear out of the kitchen my wife say, hey, Brian, uh -oh. it's time to take the trash out. It ain't going to go out by itself. Oh, you had to go back to some responsibility I, right. around the and, house. And, and I said to her, and I, said, I came out of the room, <laughs> and I said, I'm back. I'm cured. And she says, what are you talking about? I said, you know. If, if I'm taking out the trash, I must be doing it. She's like, you're damn right you are. Good to go, yeah. <laughs> you're good to go. So so after that, it's, it's kind of like, joyous thing, uh, though, yeah. you know. So, some, uh, something that tells you you're good enough, you're well enough to accomplish your everyday things right, again. Right, right. So, That's uh, awesome. So I never thought that I would get any sort of sense of accomplishment by taking out the trash other than I got it done. Yeah. After being told, I was like, okay, let's, let, let's move on to the next thing. And eventually the, the cane went to the side, and then I'm running on my own. And, and um, I ended up uh, uh, f completing a 5K in December of, of 2012. I raced in a charity race called uh, Lucy's to Toys Day 5K. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, to, uh, a good friend of mine named Lucy Gore, um, uh, she holds a 5K on the first Saturday of every December. Your entry fee is an unwrapped toy. Oh. And, um, and I went there and I ran the first 5K. Wow. I walked a little bit, maybe a minute or two. Yeah. Uh, and um, and uh, it was picked up by the Dallas Morning News and such. And, and that, that was okay. okay That's uh, great. We're moving on. That's a neat story. I yeah. did see that, that article, so I learned a little bit about that. that your, your baby 5K is like how I run 5Ks. That's, I, I, my goal is to just get through it, maybe walk one or two, three minutes yeah. when I stop for a water or whatever and, and keep going and and catch up, try to catch up with my kids who are at the finish line before me. That's a that's a great goal. As I as I say, that if you're out there doing it and you complete it, you have just lapped everybody on the couch. That's sitting all. At yep, home on the couch. Exactly. So that's great. That's usually my goal. Um, yeah. But man, your story really hits me because while I am absolutely not an Ironman um, finisher or even close to it, I I will never run a marathon or anything like that. But um, I just turned forty, and I this year took it to really change how I was living and looking. Mm -hmm. I did the same thing. I realized I don't fit into the pants that I have already sized up and didn't want to <laughs> go up in those sizes over a few years worth of just not, you know, not living correctly and eating correctly and mm -hmm. all that good stuff. So I kind of got myself to get up and I was over 30% um, body fat too and um, set some goals and I gave mm -hmm. myself a year to do it. And Good. so got down, um, and the, the, the weight, the number of pounds wasn't that big of a deal to me, but the body fat really bothered me. Right. I just felt fat and looked not great and just didn't, I knew I could do better because I have been an athlete my whole life. And so I did, I got down to more like a 17, 18%, which mm -hmm. is good for me and mm -hmm. like feeling so good and doing so much more. And so, um, when you were talking about that, that's, I was just really like recognizing that and, 
how important that is that even though you may go through some little, you know, bumps in the road as we get into our midlife and life takes over and kids take over and all the mm-hmm. work and the different things take priority that you can still, you know, get past that and get back on track. You can. Just focus and, and get the, do the work to get it done, right? You, you can. That's, uh, to know that every race, every contest is really a competition with yourself. You know, some say it's, you know, it's against the clock or it's against your competitor. It's really about a, a, a competition against yourself. And the, the beauty of it is, is that since it's a competition with yourself, is that there is no too late. Okay. Right. There, that uh, that you, you can always start no matter where you're at, uh, and um, and I always encourage always encourage folks to find an accountability partner. Mm-hmm. I call it the social facilitation. Yeah. Tell people what you need help with. Yeah. Well, I, I, or I what I, you're doing. That's how I felt. I, I think that is that, that. I mean, that's helpful too. But what what it really clicks, Kelly, is when you find somebody who you don't have to explain it to. Mm. Mm-hmm. You can say. We're here, and they've got their reasons, you've got their reasons, but the most important thing is that you're here and that you're going to give out your level, your, your level best so that, um, so that when you have a breakthrough accomplishment that you've run the fastest that you've run in a while, you're going to have somebody there who's going to say, congratulate you, and then they're going to say, well, well that's next. Let's okay? do it again. Or do somebody more. says, hey, Brian, this has happened to me, is that you didn't run so well today. I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, I, you know, <laughs> Uh, my stomach's kind of messed up, and they're like, oh, yeah, we know what that's like, too. Yeah. So you have that empathetic athlete out there. So I call it the social facilitation. So yeah, I think that's, I like that. you know, 80% of success is, is just showing up. The other 20% is having your your friends there to to, uh, to, to help you along. I love it. Well, thank you. Um, it's nice to, to talk with you, to meet you today, and learn this story. The pleasure's mine. <laughs> <laughs>